Hello, and welcome to this series of Bible studies. Last time, we came to the alarming, daunting climax to what we call chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is raising the bar for Christian behaviour throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's already told us to be a different kind of person, a person like those described in the beautiful attitudes. He's told us to be like salt and light, making a difference in the world. And he's told us to obey God's law at a deeper level than the Pharisees taught. And then he concluded that by saying, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's now going to raise the bar in the area of the religious life. He's going to raise the bar in the areas of giving, praying and fasting. He's going to tell us to do it secretly, quietly and in a manner not to be noticed. Now giving is what I do towards other people. Praying is what I do towards God and fasting is what I do towards myself. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to do these things. And Jesus says, if you do it in the wrong way, you will have no reward. If you do it in the right way, you will receive a reward. Let me read chapter 6 of Matthew. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The message is brilliant in its paraphrase of this. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theatre, but the God who made you won't be applauding. Don't call attention to yourself. Don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. We might even say, do it meekly, because this is how those who are meek in heart will behave towards God. So the first new attitude then here is about giving. Now Jesus isn't here talking about the giving every Jew had to do, uh, both to the temple and to the state. He was talking about charitable giving, when you're giving to the needy, he said. Now Jews were taught in the Old Testament to be generous to the needy. Proverbs 14, whoever is kind to the needy honours God. Chapter 19, who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And Jesus says, when you're doing it, do it secretly, do it quietly, don't draw attention to yourself. If you do draw attention to yourself, J.B. Phillips translates it as, they've had all the reward they're going to get. Give to those less fortunate than yourself because you are meek and because you are merciful, not because you want to receive praise. If you do the right thing for the wrong reason, no reward. If you do the right thing for the right reasons, God will reward you. 
Secondly, a new attitude to prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. People who give and pray in order to be noticed are hypocrites. And a hypocrite is one who wears a mask on the Greek theatre. You demonstrate to the audience what part you are playing by the mask you were wearing, the Hippocrates that you were wearing. That mask will tell the audience who were in the play. Jesus says, don't wear the mask of hypocrisy. When you're giving or praying, do so because you care for the poor, you love God, not in order to get praise and attention. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. And I think most of us will identify with that, that making time for prayer, quality time for quality prayer, is very challenging in our busy lives. But Jesus made something which is so hard, so deadly simple. Devout Jews prayed three times every day at set times. Jesus said, don't show off when you're doing that. Don't tell others. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't be ostentatious. Don't babble on with mindless repetitions. One Jewish prayer began with 16 adjectives for God. Another rabbi said, whoever is long in prayer is heard by God. And Jesus gave a short prayer which takes less than a minute. It can be used in public and should be but it was designed for private use. Jesus said, when you go into your room, shut the door and pray this prayer to your Father who is in secret. So it is designed as a private prayer, a shape, if you like, a pattern for our prayers. It's only about three subjects. Just have a look at that prayer. Can you pick out what those three subjects are? Just three words. God. Bread, sin, brilliant in its simplicity. God, three things, he says. Pray that God's name will be hallowed, honoured, respected. That's why at the end of our prayers we often say, for your name's sake. We're praying on behalf of the reputation of God in this world. Then we pray for God's kingdom to come. We're praying there for gospel spread, for church growth for the kingdom to grow in the here and now where we are. 
Jesus said, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is a present reality. But we're also praying for the return of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, it says, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. You see, the kingdom is with us now, but one day the kingdom of Christ, the rule of Christ, will be everywhere and for everyone. And so we pray for his return. And then we pray about his will. And so often we think, well, what's God's will for me to do? That's not the right way to look at this. Think of how God's will is done in heaven. It's done immediately. It's done completely. And it's done enthusiastically. How about you? How about me? Do you drag your feet when it comes to doing God's will immediately, completely and enthusiastically? God was the first word. The second word is bread. By bread, Jesus means all those things that keep body and soul together. All the things that keep us healthy and living. I want you to think of Christians in the Ukraine today. When they pray this prayer, it is so meaningful. They're praying that today they might have enough food, enough hydration, medical care, shelter from the weather, protection from shelling, friendship and love from their family. Praying for their daily bread is very meaningful in a wartime situation. Think of missionaries in the Sudan today who need to pray for their daily bread. And then sin. Three things about sin. We pray for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray for strength to forgive others their sins against us. And we pray for deliverance from our enemies. Both the evil, the evil one, and evil itself. Can you see in this prayer something of the triunity of God? Our Father, the creator of all and the giver of life. Our Saviour, through whose death our sins can be forgiven. And the Holy Spirit, who gives us strength in trials and in temptations. You may be thinking, God, bread, sin, it's all very self-centred, isn't it? Where's the concern for others? Where's the intercession in this prayer? Well, I tell you, in the New International Version translation, which I read to you, there are nine pronouns, our, us, and we. Nine times, it's a collective pronoun which is used. Not I and me and myself, but our, us, and we. And when you're praying this prayer, pray it on behalf of others. It may be your family, it may be your church, it may be your country. Pray it on behalf of us rather than just of yourself. Just as we should give out of genuine love for people, and just as we should now we should pray out of genuine love for God. Jesus has taught us new attitudes towards charitable giving and new attitudes towards prayer. But now a new attitude to fasting. Now we've seen already we're not to pray in order to be seen by others. We're not to give money in order to be honoured and, and praised by others. All these things should be done quietly and secretly. And now fasting. Don't fast and make it obvious to others. Chapter 6, verse 16. 
When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Fasting is to go without nutrition and possibly without hydration deliberately for God. As you know, the monks used to fast a lot. Uh, there's a limerick. There was a young monk of Siberia who of, who of fasting grew wearier and wearier till at length with a yell he burst forth from his cell and devoured the mother superior. Jews took fasting very seriously. In the Old Testament, it was required by Moses' law only on one day a year. That was the Day of Atonement. But by the time of the prophet Zechariah, this had increased to four times a year. Zechariah says, This is what the Lord Almighty says, The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions. David fasted to express grief when Saul died. Daniel fasted to express sorrow and repentance over the sins of his nation, Israel's sins. Ezra fasted to humble himself and the people before God, before a journey. Nehemiah and Esther fasted to ask God for help in a time of crisis. The Old Testament presents fasting to us for a time of sadness, a time of sinfulness, and a time of stressfulness. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, things had moved on. Originally, fasting on one day per year. By the time the prophet Zechariah, fasting was on four days of the year. But now the Pharisees have come into the equation. They've increased the demand for fasting to twice a week. Mondays and Thursdays were designated as fast days. We know that Anna, the widow in the temple who held Jesus in her arms, fasted regularly in that holy place. We know that John the Baptist and his disciples fasted. We know that Jesus fasted for 40 days after his baptism. We know he taught fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. Here it is, we've read it. But Jesus raised the bar for fasting, as we're going to see. The Pharisees, when they fasted, literally put ashes on their heads and rubbed some of the soot into their faces to make themselves look really ill, so that people would be impressed at the level of their self-denial. Jesus says, when you fast, don't let anybody even know that you're fasting. J.B. Phillips translates it, brush your hair and wash your face. The message says, if you go into training inwardly, act normal and outwardly. God doesn't require attention-seeking devices. Well, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, the gentle, the kind. Humble people wouldn't want to fast in order to impress others because humble people would not be filled with self-vanity and, and pride. The new church, the early church, fasted in Acts when they were sending out evangelists 
And when they were laying hands on leaders and new elders, they fasted. The whole church fasted before these events. But in the whole of the New Testament letters and the book of Revelation, there are no instructions for the young churches to fast. No encouragement to fast, no discouragement for fasting, no mention of fasting at all. It didn't seem to be on the apostles' agenda when writing these books. So, are Christians obliged to fast? Is fasting obligatory for believers? And at first sight, the answer is yes, because in chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. But of course, remember, he was speaking to Jewish people, and in their culture, they did fast, and some of them fasted twice a week. It's just something you did automatically. But in chapter 9 of Matthew, he says more. Then John's disciples came and asked Jesus, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. Jesus is saying, My disciples don't fast because the bridegroom I Myself, Jesus, am with them. But when I'm taken away, that will be an appropriate time for fasting. You don't fast at the wedding reception, but you do fast if the bridegroom is removed, taken away. It's in the passive voice. It means removed. It means arrested. It means carted off. In other words, when the time came that Jesus would be arrested and put on trial and tortured and whipped, and crucified and buried, and he seemed to have gone, he seemed to have been taken away from them forever, that was the time to fast. But when Jesus rose from the dead, when the bridegroom appeared before them and said, I am with you always to the very end of the age, that suggests that Jesus is with us, the bridegroom is with us. And therefore fasting of the kind we've been describing is not obligatory. Jesus said you can't mix the old and the new. He said you can't mix a new patch of cloth on an old garment, it will rip the garment, and you can't put new wine into old bottles because the bottles will perish. The effervescence of the vine will cause them to burst and the wineskins will be ruined. You can't mix the old and the new. So I'm suggesting that obligatory fasting is not appropriate for the kingdom of God, but voluntary fasting may be very appropriate for the kingdom of God. Back to the Old Testament. If you're going through a time of intense sorrow, like David, fast. If you need to confess your sins and repent humbly, like Daniel, fast. If you are facing a stressful challenge and you need to seek the help of God, like Ezra, fast. But don't fast out of legalism. Do you remember during uh, the lockdown and the vaccines were just being rolled out by the health service and some of the rollouts were during the Muslim month of Ramadan and many Muslims were anxious about whether they should take these injections because would it be tantamount to uh, taking nutrition or hydration into the body during the hours of fasting and Allah would not... Expect that, because fasting for a Muslim 
is obligatory. It's a part of their law. I'm suggesting it's not obligatory, it's not a part of our law, it's something that we may do and should do when we really need it. Don't fast if you're pregnant. Don't fast if you have a food-related illness, such as bulimia or anorexia. Don't fast if you're underweight. Don't fast if you have diabetes. Don't make yourself ill. Don't dehydrate yourself by fasting. So in today's passage, we've seen that Jesus has continued to raise the bar that we should be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And this will include religious acts like giving and praying and fasting. We should give and pray and fast privately with no outward show, no showing off, no hypocrisy, not making a song and dance over it, and certainly not making ourselves ill. We said at the beginning, we can do the right things for the wrong reasons, and we can do the right things for the right reasons. And if we give and pray and fast in the right way for the right reasons, then the Heavenly Father will reward us at the great resurrection and at the judgment seat of Christ. You will be rewarded for giving, for praying and for fasting, doing those right things in the right way for the glory of God. Didn't Jesus say, Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. So may God give us grace and help to give more, to pray more, and to fast more as appropriate as members of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you all. Amen. Amen.